Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, let's have a good time. Hello, hello. Now, I know the opening mentions about, like, pulling a chair up, putting your feet up, stuff like that, getting comfortable. And I really hope all of you are able to stay comfortable, because this heat wave hit this weekend, and my god... You know, I don't have an AC because it's just me in a studio apartment, so I figured I don't need to keep the apartment cold, I just need to keep myself cool, so I move a tower fan around, and that's been working fine except for this past weekend, so I hope all of you are dealing with the heat just fine and you're still comfortable and relaxed. Now, talking about, you know, feeling, <laughs> uh, not so much about just being feeling comfortable, but emotion. You know, I'm talking about you play a game that makes you feel something and not just like I feel happy for getting on the top of the leaderboards or, excuse me, sorry. You know, I feel happy for getting on top of the leaderboards in a match or a sense of like accomplishment and pride and relief, you know, after defeating a hard boss in a game. I'm not talking about those emotions. Those emotions are good, don't get me wrong. But the emotion I'm talking about are the ones that are hard to put into words, those moments that you just kind of go, wow, like, wow. You, you, just, you just stop and think about what has transpired in the game. You know, it with these games, the story just puts you as the player first. You know, it's achieving this can be difficult in a game because you need to create an interactive experience, obviously. It's, it's a game, you know, especially with video games. It is a game, so there has to be something there that you can interact with. However, to get this, this feeling across, you need to find a way to put the player in the front row seat along with the main character. Where it's not just a story for the main character that goes through, but it also kind of puts you up in center with them. With that main character, getting those feelings that the main character is feeling, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, there's a little bit of fourth wall breaking that needs to go on. Not shattering it completely, you know, like Deadpool shatters the fourth wall completely. I'm talking chiseling it away enough that it's the game is still is a game world that's been created digitally, and you are still in the real world separate from it, but it's able to convey a few things into the real world, like the, a few emotions or thoughts and stuff like that that applies to you as the player in the real world just from one experience in the game and two just life like life in general there are two games in reference to this this feeling that will stick with me till the end of time like amazing games that at the end of the journey at when i was on playing them i i felt something that no other game has made me feel and it's it's good it's a good thing like i'm so happy I've had that feeling. So the two games I want to talk about is Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice and One Shot. These are both amazing games on their own, just for what they've done. So honestly, if you've never played them and you have interest, just play them first and then come back and have a listen. Because honestly, they're the kind of games that if anything's spoiled for you, it, it ruins the experience of the game, and also because the games are all about you, you can't even watch a little let's play of it to really get get the message across. So, seriously, like, play the games first, then come back and have a listen. I'll greatly appreciate that. Because honestly, I want to talk about the games, but I also want to ruin it for people at the same time. It's it's a weird situation, but I gotta talk about it. So, warnings out of the way. I'm not even gonna put down like you know, come back at this time because honestly, I'm just gonna talk about the games. And that's gonna be it. Because my God, these. I just want to focus on the games. All right, so moving on. Enough jibber-jabber. I want to talk about Hellblade first. All right. That was made and released back in August of 2017 by Ninja Theory. So they, you know, Ninja Theory knows what they're doing. they got a couple games underneath their belt. They're, they're pretty good people. Now, the premise of the game is pretty straightforward. You are in control of Senua, who is this 
Celtic warrior who's going to hell, or uh, Helheim, I think is what they call it in the lore, to pretty much bargain and get back the soul of your lover, Dillian. That's it. A very simple story, right? Now, since the premise is so simple, the game keeps it that way also with the mechanics. Now, I'm not going to really go into much detail with mechanics. I think it's just important to note. So there's no hood. There's no heads-up display. Like, there's no compass. There's no objective arrow. There, there's nothing. Like, it's... The game just lets you follow the path set before you. You know, there is some exploration in terms of just, like, understanding the world and finding these ruins throughout the game to kind of, like, get various lore, like Celtic lore, which is really cool. Don't get me wrong. But besides that, it's just linear. It's, you're going from point A to point B because the game doesn't want to muck up any, any of the story. So it keeps that very straightforward. And then, since you're a warrior, combat's going to happen at some points. And combat's very simple. It doesn't take over the majority of the game. I'd say it's about... I want to say like 50-50, roughly, just in my mind. Of like this kind of exploration, puzzle solving, and combat. And the combat's very simple. You press a few buttons to do a couple different attacks that... If you press various sequences, you can figure out different combos, which is really cool because you're always finding out new combos throughout the game. And hell, if you decide to play it twice, you'll probably figure out more combos to do. But there's no, like, health bar, there's no stamina bar, no nothing, not for you or the enemy. So the game just keeps it simple because it wants to focus on the narrative and world building and the character development because it peels back everything else. It doesn't muck up the screen with anything or anything crazy like that. It focuses on Senua. And what she's doing, it it blows me away. So, I mean, the game looks amazing. If you just Google it and you look at, like, images and screenshots, it is a beautifully made game. The set pieces are amazing. And even though it takes place in hell, it's barren. It's not, you know, fire and brimstone and stuff like that. Like, most of the game you spend along a beach. So I think that's really cool that it's taking this concept of hell and doing something different with it. You know, it's just, it's an isolated area just for Senua. Now, the narrative is, it, it goes crazy with the narrative in a good way. That's, that's what makes you feel so much for this game. It makes emotion just run high. So, Senua is suffering from mental illness. You know, she's hearing all these voices in her head give up, it's hopeless, you'll die, all that kind of stuff. And because of what Ninja Theory did with the recordings and having that 360 microphone thing that they had, so, you know, sometimes you'll hear a voice shouting in your right ear or whispering over your left ear, you know, you, you play with headphones, you gotta play with headphones. It's, obviously, it's for Senwa, like, it's what Senwa's hearing. But with the way it was recorded and the way it's delivered with the headset, they're talking directly to you. You, you hear what Senwa hears. You're in her shoes. You're, you're suffering through this mental illness with her. And I also loved how they did, you know, it's kind of just kind of called the darkness for a while, but I believe at one point it is brought up that it, like it's her father talking to her. That whole darkness, you know, the, the voice that comes up, that very deep, bellowing, menacing voice, saying that's your fault and everything that keeps popping up. And I love that when that voice came up and it was continuing to chip away at Senua's mind, what they did with the camera, how they made the camera rotate and be put in front of Senua and sometimes like walk around Senua and she was always looking at it. She was always trying to lock eyes with it or like look away at times when she was intimidated or embarrassed because then when she looked at the camera or looked away from the camera, she was reacting to you. Yes, the voice that you were hearing, this deep, bellowing voice of darkness that is telling you as the player, in addition to Senua, that it's all her fault, this is stupid, this is pointless, why are you doing this, you should be listening to me, and then she reacts to it and reacts to you, because you're the one essentially in control, you're the one holding the controller that determines whether or not the game is continued, that determines whether or not Senua will complete her quest, is up to you. I think that's amazing because she, even though she's reacting to the voices, she's also kind of reacting to you. It's like I like at times when she shouts, shut up, I want to continue doing this. She's shouting it at you. It's like, just stop, continue. I want to finish this. She's telling you as a player to keep playing, to keep going. 
And I think that is just amazing. And considering the, the motion capture they used with the actor, they had, you know, that whole suit with the little balls on it that captured, like, 3D motion, and they had the camera up close to her face, that they're able to show, like, realistic motion. So it's translated very well. Like, you can see the fear. You can see the hope. You can see the anxiety. You can see all those facial features. You can see all, like, those little things kind of happening on her face. And then even in combat, when she's low on health, she, you can see how she's starting to get winded. She's starting to get tired. She's leaning over. She's holding her arm or holding her stomach. You know, her attacks become weaker. Or something. Like you can, she reacts. She reacts to what's going on around her. And it pushes them with all these voices and with the way she's interacting, with what you're experiencing alongside with her, it makes you begin to question, like, what is real and what's imaginary? Because she is suffering mental illness, so certain things aren't real. And so you start to question that, too. I remember, clear as day, the event that happened as you're crossing the bridge and you first meet Hela. She comes out of the door, and, of course, the darkness is shouting, you're like, look, this is what you wanted, so get up and fight. You know, she's, and you're, like, you're in the same way. You're like, come on, son, what, get up. Like, you're essentially yelling at her, like, the darkness is like, get the fuck up. Let's do this. Let's fight. This is what we've been trying to do. And, like, it's intimidating seeing this massive god before you. And then when Senua decides to start to get up and start to overcome her fear, bam, she's bitch slapped off the bridge. Sword is broken. All right? And the screen goes black. And then it comes back, and you see Senua sitting before a fire with her sword in the fire. And... You know, you don't see anything else. It's just that. That's just the scene. And and then it's like such a, a terrifying ex- experience to behold where she pulls the blade from the fire and pushes it against her face, crying out in agony and pain, and the screen then goes black again. And I still remember when I first saw that, I thought it was like all a dream to her. You know, because she got smacked by hell and got knocked out. So I thought it was just like some sort of dream. It was still terrifying to behold because this camera's like right up in her face. But then when she wakes up and the scar is there, right along the side of her face, where she pushed the blade in, that's when you realize, oh shit, that actually happened. Like, that wasn't imaginary. Because throughout the game, you're starting to wonder, like, what is real and what's imaginary? What's fake? What is she making up? And so at first, I thought that was just a dream of, like, her having a nightmare of, like, giving in. And then she wakes up saying, okay, no, I'm going to continue. But no, no, no. No, she actually, like, attempted that. She actually cut herself. It was so jarring to me seeing that because it looked like a woman that was in dire pain that was inflicting self-harm like it looked so realistic and it the emo- it was just so powerful I, I, I can't I can't say anymore it was just so powerful so god damn like it, it starts to kind of she breaks down obviously from everything and you start to break down you know I remember the trials also and the one trial where you go in and everything's pitch black and the voices are gone. Like, that was a big thing. The voices left and all there was is Dillian guiding you. At first, I loved it because I'm like, okay, good. Those voices are away because those voices have been stressing me out so much. I'm so happy they're gone. And now it's just Dillian guiding me. And then I found out what the trial was. It's like, yeah, by the way, you can't see. Also, there's these things in here that want to kill you. They can't see either, but they react to sounds. So now you have to listen for them to avoid them. And that terrified me. That was a horrifying experience for me because me, I don't like, like, I have a fear of the unknown. Like, part of my fear in swimming in the open ocean is I don't know what's below me. Like, if I'm in the darkness and something is coming towards me, that terrifies me because what is it? What is happening? When I don't know something, I'm not aware of what's around me, terrifies me. That's what was going on there. It was terrifying because up until that point, you had the voices always saying things to you. So you're always aware, like, something's going on. The voices are talking to you, stuff like that. So when I got to the end of the trial and I made through, first off, I felt great because, like, I got out. So it was, like, a huge sigh of relief because, like, oh, thank God I'm done with it. But then the other sigh of relief came when the voices started to come back. And I heard the crashing ocean waves along the beach. And I'm, like, I'm I'm home, essentially. Like, I'm, I'm back where I belong and I started to cherish the voices a little bit because then I started to pick up, like, some of the voices were very positive. There were, there was some reassuring voices there. And, of course, also, like, when you're fighting, some of them shout out, you know, like, hey, watch out, look out, stuff like that. So I started to really cherish some of those voices and appreciate it. You know, I started to appreciate, honestly, the little things, like, 
that trial took away one of the few things I had, one of the few things that Seno had, was taken away from us and then given back. And as much as there's some negativity in it, there's also some positivity in it. And I was learning what, how to work with that. And then immediately after those trials, you get to the Sea of Corpses. You know, and this is why I want to kind of talk about the soundtrack a little bit. The Sea of Corpses was just an amazing set piece to me. You know, you're dropped into this area with this new sword, and you're wading through blood. And there's just piles of damn souls everywhere reaching out and calling to you and everything like that. And the music kicks in, and the first enemy appears, and you're like, let's fucking go. Like, I have the blade now to kill Hela. I'm getting out of here and completing this journey. And then the darkness kicks in. And it starts just going on and on and on for minutes. You know, longer than any time before. Just saying again how pointless it is and how it's your fault. And I keep saying the word your and you, even though the voice is talking to Senua, because you're in Senua's shoes. Like, the game pulls you and it's talking to you. The darkness is talking to you. It's your fault. You know, you're making Senua go through all this. She's going to continue to suffer. Because you are continuing to play the game. You pulled that sword out. You told her, pull that sword out, and let's go through this and get Hela. She will continue to suffer and go through everything because of what you're doing. And at that point, the music's getting amped up. And I'm just like, I'm ignoring everything that's being said to me. I'm ignoring everything the darkness is saying to me and Senua to just give in. It's our fault that all these people are suffering. I'm like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to fight through this, and we're going to succeed. And I love the Sea of Corpses for that reason. It felt empowering. It really did. That I now... Senua now has the ability to complete this mission. She has a sword she needs to kill Hela. And she can complete her mission. And I can see her through it. I can now do it with her. That is such a powerful moment in the game for positivity. Even though what the darkness is saying is essentially true. That it's, Hela, it's Senua's fault that everything's happening. And it's your fault as a player for making her go through it. So you're fighting back and forth through these two things. That Yeah, it's my fault for making her do it, but we're going to do this. And then there was the other moment near the beginning of the game. Because Senua doesn't know what happened to Dillian. She knows Dillian died, but she wasn't sure how. So when you're finally like introduced to the darkness for the first time, and that like that fatherly voice, you know, a father figure of hers that is degrading her, is first introduced, and then you see what actually happened to Dillian, how he was strung up and skinned and flayed open and everything, it's horrible to see. And, of course, Senua starts breaking down, and that piano piece, the piano starts playing, and you're just like, my God. Like, I remember when that happened, I just kind of put the controller down, had to sit there for a moment and take it in beside Senua. Like, oh, that's what happened. Holy shit. And, of course, in real life, you don't have music to accompany you everywhere. But when something personal happens to you... You don't need the music. It's personal love to you that it makes you feel those emotions. So Senua is very natural. She's feeling those emotions of seeing her lover skinned and flayed, essentially alive and left to die. So even though you don't have a personal attachment to Dillian, you have some attachment to Senua for controlling her. And then the music just helps amplify that a little bit further of really getting that feeling of what she's going through and seeing and she's breaking down everything. And then she gets a determination of, like, no, I'm going to finish this. And that's kind of when you feel it, too. Like, yeah, I, we have to do this. And then the ending. My God. The ending hits you. For anyone who's been there, you reach the end. Hello's right there. And you're fighting this onslaught of enemies. And you're like, no, we have to do this. You know, Senua is shouting that I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to defeat you and rescue Dillian. And you're like, yeah, let's do this. We're here. We're at the end of our quest. We've been through so much. We're going to do it. And the music kicks in. I think it's Priscilla's Death Squad. Music kicks in all around you. And all these enemies start appearing. And Hell is backing up further and further away from you, just sending more goons at you. And I remember the first time I was doing that, and the music was playing. And, you know, eventually it got to the point I couldn't even see what was going on. There were so many enemies before me just hitting Senua over and over again. And I'm like keep going. I keep smashing that A button to get her up and continue fighting. I was as a player, putting her through this torment because I'm like, I'm with you Senua, we, we're going to complete this, I want to complete this, but in the end, I'm putting her through the torture of everything. I'm, she's feeling the pain because of me, because I'm making her do it. 
And then, as the music continues, this very sombrous music, the voice comes in, Senwa's mother, which was the only voice of reason for the longest time, here and there. And she says the one thing that everyone has been telling you up to that point. Give in. Stop hurting yourself and give in. I remember hearing that for the first time, and I got Senua back up to continue fighting. And I heard it again, and then Senua got knocked down again, and I saw what was before her. And I heard the voice saying to give in, and I'm like, she's right. Senua's mother is right. This is wrong. I shouldn't keep putting Senua through this. Senua should not continue to fight for Dillian. It's time to give in. It's done. It's over. It was so powerful, both for Senua herself as a character, but for me as a player of learning. It wasn't giving up. It was just knowing when to fold, like knowing when to come to the end of the journey. And you have that whole end cutscene and the music starts playing Illusion, the song Illusion. Every time I hear the song Illusion, I just stop and I get, I get goosebumps because that song played at the end of this magnificent experience when everything's finally settling in and you're able to kind of soak everything in. And you learn what, what Senua learned. She needed to move on. She needed to give up Dillian. It was over. It was done. She had to be happy with herself and continue on. And that end cutscene when she throws Dillian's skull, his head, over the cliff and then tells you, looks in the camera right at you as a player and says, come with me on this journey. And that's when it hits. And you're like, my God. That's what it meant. Like, it. I learned what Cinema learned. And I have to be happy with myself. Everything's going to be fine. You know? Things happen in life. And giving up doesn't mean you're giving into them, but giving up in terms of, yes, bad things will happen, it's time to move on. I need to continue with my life and be happy with what's happened. And then the game data erases and you've lost your progress. You want to play the game and you got to start from the beginning. And I think that's a, that is well made. Like the story is done. Senwa's given into the corruption in her mind and that's it. Everything's done. Progress is wiped just like the game said. Eventually the corruption would reach her head or her heart and that's it. Game over. Data erased. That's exactly what happens. She gives into the corruption. She learns to move on with what has happened, and boom, you're done. You know, the game, I felt like I was going through everything alongside Senua. I was learning the same things she was learning. I was learning that I'm pushing Senua along. Like, not only should she want to succeed herself, but me as the player, I'm the one in control. I'm the one the controller making her go through everything. It breaks down that fourth wall just enough. To pull you in alongside the main character, but still keep it as a game world at the same time. It's teaching you something alongside with the main character. I mean, those emotions she shows on screen all the time. See, like, she feels so human with what she's going through. Like, I remember, it, it's not that long of a game. It's a, it's a decent, like, relatively short game. I think it was like seven, eight hours I think I took to beat it my first time. If memory serves right, but it took me a few days to get through it completely to reach those hours because I've never experienced something so mentally taxing with, you know, those voices in my head telling me to give up or seeing such emotion portrayed to me through a screen. Like, I love those kind of things. I love when when a creator is able to develop such emotion in a fictional character. I had to pause every now and then. You know, I only played the game at night with my headphones on to really get into the mood of, like, there's nothing else going on. And I was constantly just, like, stopping every now and then. And I'm so happy the game made me do that. You know, I played through it a second time to try and get the achievement to get all the ruins because I, I messed up and didn't get that. But as I was, I was playing through the game, you know, 
I got two, three hours in, and I completely forgot the reason why I was playing the game again. I completely forgot about the achievement to get all the ruins. And it wasn't until the end of the game, I'm like, oh, yeah. I was playing this again to get that achievement. And I honestly, I didn't care. Because I was going through that experience again. I mean, it wasn't the same as the first time. But the game is just so enticing with what it does and so captivating with the story that the achievement just didn't matter anymore to me. And I'm fine with that. You know, I might play it. I might play it a third time. And frankly, I'll probably forget about the achievement again and just play through the game as normal. And that is totally fine. You know, it's it's easily one of my favorite games of all time. I'm so happy I got to experience it firsthand on a blind and not knowing what I was getting into. So then how about something a little bit different? You know, I mentioned before two games, Hellblade, Senua Sacrifice, and One Shot. Now, One Shot is similar to Hellblade in terms of being a very simple concept of a game and very simple mechanics. That way, the story and the narrative can take front row. And it was made back in December uh, 2016 by a wonderful group called Little Cat Feet. I'm not lying. It says developer Little Cat Feet Online. So there you go. Now, this game has a main character, Nico. It's this adorable little girl that has, like, some feline aspects to her. Like, she has cat ears. She has a little, like, fangs. And you're, like, you know, like, sometimes people online, you know, like, talking online, they make that little face with, like, the V-shape. She has that. Like, that's kind of her resting face. It's adorable. And I don't think it's ever explicitly said that she's a she, but, you know, it, it she feels female to me. So we're just going to say she, she, or she, her, stuff like that, just for simple sake, okay? So this girl, Nico, wakes up in this robotic world with a large light bulb beside her. And she only finds out it's a light bulb because when she touches this glass ball, it turns on. And it only lights up while she's holding it. So some interesting character development. She's able to make this light turn on by touching it, even though it's not connected to anything. Cool. Uh, Follow-up. She is a kid. It explicitly said she is a kid. She, she says that explicitly. She is a kid, and she has no idea how she got here. She just wakes up here with that, no memory of how she got here. She remembers home. She remembers mom and dad and eating pancakes and stuff like that. You know, she remembers, or is it waffles? It's one of the other, pancake or waffles. She remembers home life, but she has no idea how she got to this, this other world. And now the game starts, and it's very simple, just a kind of top-down exploration game. It has kind of like a that old-school Final Fantasy look to it in terms of, like, the graphics and how you're exploring the world. Uh, but there's no combat. It's just puzzles. You're just solving puzzles to get to the end goal. And that's it. Which, of course, starts with she wants to go home. Makes sense. And this light bulb, she's, just, she's holding on to the light bulb because, like, well, you know, it's kind of dark here, so it helps me see around the world. Cool. Simple. So you, you join along Nico to just learn a few things. So you quickly learn the first NPC you walk into, this first robot you bump into, exposition bot. And he actually says, like, this is what's really clever. Because the characters are robots, they say that I was explicitly designed to do this. So the robot, the first robot that you meet, you know, Nico can kind of talk to you to get more of an understanding of who the robot is. He's like, look, my, like, I was designed to tell you what you're doing here, like why you're here. I don't know how you got here. I don't know what you have to do to complete your goal. All I know is that you are here. You are the Messiah. That light bulb you're holding is a power source that you must bring to the the city, you know, up in the Citadel, to return life to our world so it doesn't die. He straight up says that's his job, and he, has, he doesn't know anything else. So it's very clever of an exposition dump that you and Nico learn what's at stake from this robot that straight up says, my job is to tell you what's at stake. I th- I, that was very clever. Now, of course, the question is, she's a kid. How is she going to do this? Because usually, like, the game says something like, you know, you're the chosen hero or something like that, fate of circumstance, yada, yada, yada. So what's the game's rationale here? Well, the rationale is, like I said before, this robot, exhibition bot, says you're the messiah. Because it turns out this girl, Nico is able to talk to the quote-unquote god of the robotic realm. That god being you, the player, because this robotic world is in your computer. Like That is what a video game is. Like, on the console or on your PC, it is a virtual digital world built to be ran in a device. So the developers are very clever, saying... 
yes, this robotic world is a world inside your computers that the robots are aware of. They are aware that their reality is inside of something and that this god being has control. If your computer's off, the world goes dark. The game's not being run, therefore the world is dark. But when you're present and you're playing the game, the world is lit up. The robots are aware of this, but they can't talk to you, God. Only Nico can. So now, this turns into a journey of you, the player who is God, giving guidance to Nico. And, you know, playing this on Steam, it was very clever because it pulls your name from Steam. So when I was playing the game, she said, John, are you there? She used my name as it is in Steam. And that's a clever little detail because it makes it very personal. It's using your name so Nico can talk directly to you. She asks for guidance. She asks questions about, you know, your... At one point, she's like, what is it like in your world? Do you have pancakes? Do you have a mom? Like, she's asking you, God, questions about your life so that you can relate to her, and in turn, she can relate to you. you know, and her character develops that it's not super in-depth, but you get that, you get that feel. Like, when, you, when you answer her questions, she feels better. And she, even though she's like alone in this robotic world and she's trying to get home, she becomes more comfortable knowing that this, this being that's guiding her is like her, and it has feelings, it has emotions, stuff like that, and it makes her feel better. And then you feel better because like, Good, I'm making Nico feel better. I'm making her want to continue on this journey, this very important journey. So it makes it very humis- humanistic, I think is a word. You're very human. Just, it makes it very human. Like, yeah, like, we're here to work together. You know, you're a person, I'm a person, let's go. Now, also throughout the game, not only is she able to talk to you at certain points, you know, to get an idea of various things, but there's also the puzzles. Puzzle thought it very simple, you know, get a few items together to, to make something so you have like an oxygen mask to breathe through this dusty, gaseous area. You know, simple stuff. I think it's wacky. Because this world is created in your computer, and you are this godly being that has control over it, puzzles start to show up where you'll be sent a message. There's this other character at play, this other thing at play that's kind of like the source of this corruption that's slowly eating away at this robotic realm that talks to you directly, doesn't talk to Nico, talks to you directly, saying, why are you doing this? Why are you here? And Nico's like, what's going on? And she, doesn't, she doesn't know that someone's talking to you. So she asks questions about that. And then the puzzles develop that there's this being that will leave you clues, not Nico, you, specifically you, the player. So I remember there was one puzzle where this note popped up and it said, you know, shrink the game window and open up this file. And Nico reads it. You know, she reads that's how you see it. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to use my name here because that's how it is. She's like, okay, John, what, what does this mean? Do you know what any of this means? Well, it turns out, you know, I open up, I go, it's a directory. It's actually on my computer. I go to that directory. And now all of a sudden out of fucking nowhere, there are these note files. These PNGs that just popped up into my computer. And I'm like, what? And I open them up, and they're actually notes. Written notes to me that have clues of how to solve the next puzzle. So the game didn't shatter the fourth wall. It built the fourth wall into the world of OneShot, into this world that's created in your computer, saying there are things that are going to be on your computer that you need to use to help out Nico. And then at one point, there was this other really cool puzzle that I get. It said, like, you know, shrink down the window, the game window. And I did that, and I'm like, what the fuck's up with my background? Because I had this very colorful background at the time, and suddenly the screen was black. I'm like, what the fuck? And I moved the game out of the way, and there was these symbols in the center. It changed my desktop background for a puzzle in game. So I had to move all the icons out of the way, because I have a lot of games on my computer. So I had to move all the icons out of the way to see the symbol in the middle to use it to decipher this puzzle. And then as soon as I solved the puzzle in game, boom, my desktop background switched back to normal. I have no idea where the fuck that image went to. 
like I was looking through my my directories, like through my docs and stuff like that. I'm like, where is this file that they use for my background? I couldn't fucking find it. It just was there, and then it was gone. It was back to normal. This is genius. Like I commend. Like it's impressive what the developers did with this. It's a feat of engineering. Seriously, it is. It's a feat to just manipulate game files like that. But also on this level that it brings you into the world by making you a a character in the game world itself. It's kind of like a co-op game, in a sense. There are puzzles that need to be solved that you only have access to certain things on your computer. However, Nico needs to be able to interact with certain things. So even though you're technically the only one in control, there is a co-op element to it. Like, let's say you have all the pieces of the puzzle ready and you can solve it. But if Nico can't reach the computer in-game or the door in-game, you can't complete the puzzle because Nico needs to get there. That's part of the problem. She is a character in the world, and so are you. It's brilliant. So this game, in terms of, like, emotion, like, I keep talking about all these puzzles and everything and the mechanics of the game. Uh, so where's the emotion, you might ask? That's what develops the emotion, though. Because the puzzles aren't super complex, but the way they're designed puts you in the driver's seat of them. And you start to work with Nico because she'll it's you and her the entire time. Like, you meet others throughout your journey. Some a really nice, colorful cast of characters that are like, you know, talk to Nico. Like, oh, you're the Messiah? So that means you can talk to God and you're going to save us, right? It makes you want... It's kind of like with Hellblade. It makes you want to succeed, but where Hellblade is more of a story of giving in and dealing kind of with your consequences and working through trauma, One Shot is about being that hero. It's like, yeah, I'm going to guide Nico to the end because she wants to save these people, honestly, because one, it's the right thing to do, and two, it's how she'll get home is what she's told. You know, she completes her journey and she can then go home. And then on the other hand, you wanted to succeed because... You're in charge of this world. So when these characters are talking to her and you're watching them interact with her, and then she asks you that, like, you know, can we do this? You want to do it. You start to feel that. So we get to the ending. You, you reach the ending, going through all this, developing this world of characters and really getting to know Nico and connecting with Nico. Like, she becomes your friend. She straight up becomes your friend through this experience if you let it. You know, she talks to you, which I fucking loved. And, of course, the question is asked. You find out, yes, if the light bulb is placed as it's supposed to, the world will be saved. This robot world inside your computer will be saved. However, Nico will be lost forever and she will not be able to go home. Or, she shatters it. She throws a light bulb on the ground, shattering it completely. And through that, she'll be able to go home. But of course, this light bulb, which was the last chance at this world surviving, is now gone forever. And that robot world will be taken over by darkness and be lost forever. But Nico can go home. So of course, Nico's torn. Yes, I want to save these people. I made promises. I got to learn to love these people in this world. I want to save them. But I want to go home. You know, I'm, I'm sad. I want to go back to mom. I want to go back to the farm. I want to be a girl again. She's so torn that she turns to you. You know, instead of you as a player can say yes or no to a decision in a game, the game, the character, Nico, straight up asks you. She turns to the screen. She looks up and says, what should I do? It's a bit religious. You know, a lot of times in in times of crisis, those who are religious will turn to whoever they worship for guidance. You know, they'll turn to God or whatever it is for other religions. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not well-versed in that stuff. But they'll turn and ask, God, what should I do? You know, God, I'm looking for guidance. And so that's what she does. She turns to God. She turns to you, the player, looking for guidance and asking, what is it I have to do? What is the right thing? I don't know. That is such a powerful moment because she breaks down. Like, you've learned to love and care for this character, Nico, so much because you've been guiding her through this journey. You've been helping her. You've been working with her this entire time on a personal level. The game connects that personal level for you, and now you have to decide. 
you know, you have to be the person in charge because you're God. You're the one in charge of this world. And it's Desians. It's characters. They don't know what to do. So they're asking for help. And it's such a powerful moment for you as the player to be like, I... And it's not even saying that you're the bad guy. It's not making out you as the bad guy in this case because you're the one making the decision. It's you saying that, look, these people need guidance. They understand. Like, Nico fully understands the pros and cons to each choice. She knows what's at stake. But she's so torn over it that she needs someone to help her. So you're not the bad guy. You're, you're the helper. You're giving her this guidance that you've been giving her the entire time. But the entire game, you controlling Nico on the keyboard with the mouse and everything, was you guiding her. Like, the game makes that very clear. And so, you know, I made my decision. I saved the realm. Of course, Nico couldn't go home. And that was that. You know, as soon as I beat the game, it closed out. Like, it does a lot of really cool things. When Nico goes to bed in game, in the world, the game closes out. And that's when, like, you're able to pause. Because if you closed the game out just randomly, that's when suddenly lights go out. And the next time you boot up, Nico's like, oh my gosh, I'm just like, you're back. Thank you. I was so scared. Everything just went dark suddenly. I thought I was done. Like, the game makes it very clear that if you shut the game off randomly, Nico's suddenly lost in the wilt in the dark, and she might die. Like, something might go horribly wrong. So she's so glad when you come back. And then it's so good to see her still fine. So you need to rest out of bed. So the game uses that mechanic throughout of just like it closes out on its own at certain times because the adventure is pausing because Nico is going to bed. At the end of the game, when everything's done and the story is over and Nico's journey is complete, the game closes out. And so I was genuinely curious. I booted the game back up and I was immediately met with a different screen. I mentioned before there was that being that like, it, it's kind of the cause of everything, but it also helps you at times the same way. it's There's a lot of emotional stuff going on with that, this other being, this other character. And so that being takes on the appearance of Nico and appears on screen. And it's like, oh, hey, you're back. I don't know why, though. Like, this is it. The story's over. Like, it's done. We're finished. Like, Nico completed her journey. You did what you had to do. That's that. So the game tells you that, yeah, the game's done. There is no game. And then eventually this being kind of like turns it over in its head. And it's like, actually, I still have... Because it's, it's a computer. This being is a computer program, essentially, inside this world, this game. It's like, well, I have access to her memory still. So, you know, I, I could recreate it, but it wouldn't be the same. Because, like, Nico's gone. Like, it makes it very clear that the journey is complete. Nico's gone, no matter your decision. So there's, you know, you could play again, but it's not the same. You know, it's not really Nico. It's just her memories and all that kind of stuff like do you want that? And you can say yes or no. And I've always said no. And I'll, just before I started up this recording, I decided to check again. I decided to boot up. It's on my old computer. Like I have two computers now, so I could redo the story on my new computer because uh, of files and everything. It's saved on the computer. But, so I opened up the game on my old computer, the one that I originally beat the game on. And again, I was greeted with that screen again. And I, I was sitting there because I'm curious I'm tempted to say yes, because part of the other thing is, which I really didn't notice the first time until I did it again today before recording, when I hit no, this being, because she takes on the presence of Nico, it makes it kind of personal. You know, you're seeing Nico again after all this time, which honestly felt kind of good. I'm like, hey, look, it's Nico again. It's good to see her. Uh, so the th- it almost sounds sad. It's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I'll just be here. I really have nowhere else to go. Like, that's what it says. I'll just be waiting here. There's nothing for me to do. I'm stuck in this computer. So I, I kind of want to say yes because this, this being sounds almost sad that it's left alone. Like, everything's done. That's it. Game's over. So, like, eh? Actually, real quick, I'm generally curious because now I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to remember actually what ending I did pick for this game. I think in the end, actually, I, I sent Nico home based on everything that's said so let me pull this up and actually give everyone the real story about what i decided to do for one shot ah yep return so i did get the achievement to send nico home 
I apologize. I lied before. Man, this is this is this is really putting on some some heavy feels. Like, wow. So yeah, I sent her home. So this story now it all makes sense. Like when I boot the game up, that you know this character's like, yeah, Nico went home. That's it. It's gone. There's nothing left. This world collapsed. That's it. I'm just here now, by myself. So, I'm conflicted. You know, at one in one way, I kind of want to start the game up again, just to go through the game again, and also to like, because the game makes it so human. The game makes this world feel realistic inside your computer that you're in control of. When I see this being, this this program sitting there, like, yeah, I'm just all alone. Now. I'm just here because there's nothing left because Nico is gone. I want to go back through and play it again to change that, but it wouldn't be the same. It's just her memories. So I keep saying no because that's it. Like, it's like real life. Like, the journey is complete. It's time to move on, you know. You meet people in school. You graduate. You move on. You get a job, career, whatever. Life is life. You know, you can never go back and redo something. You can never go back and attempt something again. There's no changing history. What's done is done. You know, you only have one life. You only have one shot at anything. You you have one shot, like the game is called. You have one shot to do this. So, yeah, I'm missing some achievements on my main on my old computer because I didn't get everything on my one shot through the game. So I could cheat indirectly, and I could boot the game off my new computer since I don't have any of the files, and it would act like it's a brand new game. And you know what? I might do that because I'm curious about the other ending. And as much as I could redo it on my old computer, because this being says it could be done, it doesn't feel right. You know, I feel slightly guilty for what I did. No joke. Because the game pulled on those heartstrings to make it feel so realistic with its characters interacting with you personally that, yeah, I had some personal impact on what happened. So, yeah, that's, that's that. Like, there's really not much more to say. These two games really struck a chord with me emotionally in a, in a positive way, even though, you know, some of the takes are negative in terms of, like, the emotions that are felt and how I, I feel after deciding to send Nico home in one shot and condemning this world. There's some guilt, but that's why it's such an oppressive game, the fact that it can do that. It can make you have those feelings and make you experience that and make you take responsibility essentially like yeah yep that's a thing yeah that was that was on me like i did this it's so amazing to share these stories no joke like you know i know i'm not a huge hit i'm, I'm pretty sure i'm not known by a lot of people like, i have a, a small audience but you know what i'm happy that i'm able to talk about these kind of things and i especially today you know i took time to talk about these two games and what they did for me, it feels good because I don't have much chance. Like, yeah, I, I got friends and you could talk to your friends, but they never played the game. And they're like, yeah, okay, that's cool. You know, doing it to an online audience, talking about this kind of stuff, gives me a chance to reach out to more people and reach out to people who possibly have played the games themselves and, and know kind of what this feeling is. You know, I know we can't have a one-on-one -on -one conversation where I'm talking to you and you're talking back to me. We're having a real-life conversation. That's not how this stuff works because it's the internet. And I'm doing a podcast episode, which is a pre-recorded message, but fuck it, it still feels good. You know, now with Twitter and everything that I'm actually using, and I'm getting used to it, you know, there's a chance that people can tweet at me, you know, and say things to me and ask questions and comments and things like that. Because such is life. You do things, you take time to do things, and you take time to learn various things and, ex and go through various experiences what you do with it is your choice. Whatever it is, positive, negative, middle of the ground, doesn't matter. What you do with what you're given and with what you learn is for you to decide. You know, that's what these two games really teach. You are making the decisions. You are that person in your head holding the controller, guiding you through this game we call life. And what's done is done. You can play back the memories in your head. But what is done is done. That's it. 
it's final. So the real closing message here is is hope, you know, and not so much hope for life because, again, what you make of life is what you make of it. Hope that we'll have another one-shot or we'll have another Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, another game that really strikes the emotional chord that so few games can really do. And again, I hope for just another one. I don't want a bunch because... If there's a lot like it, that's what makes it lose its impact. These games being so unique is what makes them so lasting in my heart and my mind. Because it's not just another RPG that I played, or another adventure game that I played, or another shooter that I played. No, it's it's Hellblade. It's one shot. It's these games that make me think these things and feel this way, and make me want to take time out of my day to talk about it to you, the listener, who is deciding to take the time out of his or her day to listen to me talk. So I hope we get just another one at some point so we can just have it again. Another game to add to this very, very special list of games. So I'm going to sign off for now. Next week, it's the last Sunday of the month, and as I stated earlier, when I started doing this whole Twitter thing and everything, and started to kind of like do a revival of the channel slowly, I want to do some sort of like ranking, list ranking, but not favorite games, because two of the choices will be obvious already. (laughs) You know, One Shot Hellblade will be a bit obvious, so it'll be a ranking about something else. Maybe I'll come up with an idea in a day or two and kind of drops up on Twitter and see, maybe I'll get some responses there. Maybe I'll get some interaction from some people, see what people think, see what they want to hear. So yeah, heat wave's supposed to break soon, so we'll be back to some nice weather for summer. And yeah, I just want to leave you with that. Just have a good week. Stay cool. Life is life. It's it's beautiful. In a way. It's beautiful what you make of it. So take care, everyone. So long. <laughs>